Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. May Jesus Christ be praised. That is our aim. That is our aim today and, and always. I'm so grateful for our music leadership. David, way to, way to step in today in the Glenn's absence. Thank you for stepping in in Glenn's absence. And I got to tell you, this past Friday, we had a, a proud moment. Bob, uh, we asked Bob, we had a group of Baptists here Thursday and, and Friday, Baptist Today, Nurturing Faith publication. They had a board meeting here, and, and after one of the presentations, we asked Bob if he would come and show the organ. And he came and showed it off a little bit, and we could not be prouder. We could not be gladder. Hmm. Uh, and we are grateful every week. Uh, to be led, uh, not just in quality uh, music, but to be led in precise, focused purpose. Because what we just heard sung is the aim, that Jesus Christ be praised in every note, every measure, every song that we sing, and every sermon that we share. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me in our Bibles, and we'll uh, take a step into praising our Lord even more while we preach, and it is going to be Genesis chapter 39. If you will find your way to Genesis 39, we're going to get to the text in just a moment, and we're going to immerse ourselves in it. But before, let me, let me catch us up to speed a little bit. Today is the second part of an ongoing series that we're calling Joseph. Joseph. Last week, we introduced this amazing character that runs throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. The rest of the book of Genesis is devoted to one individual, to a man who is a model for what it looks like to live with integrity through all of the ups and downs of his life. And last week, we were introduced to a certain characteristic about Joseph, that he is a seer. He sees. He was attentive to the thing that was alive in him. Call him a seer, call him a visioner, call him a dreamer. He dreamed of the thing that God was up to in him. And when he shared about that thing that he saw God up to in his life, the world around him, even those who were close to him, reacted negatively. You know, that's what we said last week. The moment we begin to show our, our truest colors Sometimes the world itself will strip us of it. His father made him a coat, we said last week, of many colors, reflective of his multicolored soul that he recognized at an early age. So he wore on the outside a demonstration of the very kind of vibrant, multicolored soul that he nurtured on the inside. And while that was something to celebrate in the eyes of his father, it wasn't something that his brothers celebrated and they beat him and they stripped him of that robe. And we said this journey, this study, this sermon series is worth our time if only for this reason. 
life will strip us of what we think matters most. Life will attempt, and the struggles of life, and people in our lives, and the the turmoil that we endure in life will attempt to strip or rob us of the very vibrant, multicolored demonstration of who we are meant to be. But we said Joseph demonstrates, not only last week, but through the rest of the series, that there may be a stripping away on the outside, but there is a place in you that cannot be reached. A place in you that cannot be stripped. And we're going to watch Joseph demonstrate what, it's look, what it looks like to nurture that place, that we may live strong as he did. So we begin with chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought him and brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time, uh, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. The reading of the sacred word. What we have to capture at the beginning of this text is an image that the writer is wanting to, he's wanted to set the stage for us. If we're going to hear anything about this one who lives out of the depths of his own interior color. If we're going to learn what it looks like to let the kingdom of God that is alive in us radiate and live throughout us, then the stage has to be set and the writer says the first thing you need to know is that he was taken down to Egypt. Last week we ended chapter 37 with those haunting words. I mean, they beat him up and they sold him into slavery and they thought they were done with him. But the dream went down to Egypt with him down in the span of two verses the first two verses we are told already to imagine the image of descent with with joseph that he was down in egypt sold down by the ishmaelites and the thing i want us to capture is this image of descent not just in joseph but in you and in me because If we are going to understand how it is that God goes about raising us up, we have to pay attention to those moments and sometimes those seasons when we are first brought down, down, down. When life spirals and when we think it can't get any lower than it is, Joseph is brought down. But as soon as we are described how far down he has gone, verse 3 picks up the story with a phrase that begins to repeat, the Lord 
was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. In those first six verses, that phrase repeats in one form or fashion, one variation or another, as many as five times. Five times within six verses, a refrain, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord caused him to prosper. The Lord blessed everything in his house. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had. In one way or another, in the short span of six verses, we hear the Lord is with him, the Lord is with him, the Lord is with him, the Lord is with him. So that as a reader, you and I watch, and we watch this this story unfold, and we recognize that he may be going down so far that he cannot ever lift himself up, but don't worry, because the Lord was with him. There is no descent so far down that the Lord cannot reach you. There is no spiral so deep that the mercy and the grace of God cannot rescue and retrieve you. Better than that, it's not just that we can go so far down and God can still find his way to us, but rather this text says that when you go down to the pit, you have company. That you are never alone if you are in the faith. This is the refrain that we have to rehearse. What would happen if you learned how to rehearse the refrain? The Lord is with me. Got things to celebrate. The Lord is with me. Can't hold back the tears. The Lord is with me. I'm hurting and afraid. The Lord is with me. This is the story that is punctuated all throughout the biblical narrative everywhere we look. Yes, there are places in the Bible that describe the experience of feeling as if you're absolutely absent of God. There are moments and characters in the story that describe what it feels like to feel as if God has absconded. Deus absconditus, the God who has run away. I know. And those stories are in there because those stories are in here. But punctuating and weaved throughout that narrative is a counter-narrative that no matter how absent you feel God is when you look backward over the scope of your life, you recognize that he has never left you alone. Is this not what the psalmist meant when he said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? (laughs) And where can I flee from your presence? If, If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the darkest, shadowy places where nothing good is, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the furthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me fast. What would it look like if you learned how to rehearse the refrain, the Lord is with me? Yes, it doesn't feel like it, but the Lord is with me. There's no place I can go where he is not Is this not what Psalm 23 is all about? For lo, though I walk through the valley of even the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art, you, you finish it, with me. Is this not why the last words of the gospel of Matthew are those words uttered by our Lord's lips on his way away, presumably, 
For lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, I know that we make up a, a diverse group of experiences in this room every Sunday, but I don't know what it is that has caused your descent. And the reason I know that you may have experienced descent is because you are a human being, and if you are somewhere at the bottom, you need to understand you are not there alone. Sometimes we have to rehearse the refrain that the Bible gives us to rehearse, the Lord is with you. This is why one of my most practiced prayers is breath prayers. We've talked about it before. The breath prayer is the easiest, simplest, very simple way of praying every day through seasons of anxiety, seasons of descent, to simply breathe like the ancients did. Spirit of Christ, breathe through me. Spirit of Christ, Breathe through me. And when we pray and breathe, and I recommend breathing, the great theologian Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi said, you know breathe, you know live, you gotta breathe, right? Breathing our prayer not only lowers the heart rate and oxygenates the blood, but it reminds us what the ancients believed, that God is closer to you than your own breath. rehearse the refrain we're told that he's gone down way down it almost can't get even uh, further down than joseph is in the first six verses and yet something is happening we're told that he's down but not by himself and then something interesting happens let's continue to read next verse so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. So he's gone all the way down, and, and he's in slavery. He's in slavery in Egypt. It can't get any further down from his experience. And yet Potiphar recognizes something. His master recognizes something in the life of Joseph that can't be hidden. There is an inner aliveness in Joseph Later, we might call it the kingdom of God, the presence, the spirit of God, the dream of God. And Potiphar recognizes it and puts him in charge of stuff. In fact, he puts him in charge of so many things in his household that there was almost nothing that Potiphar had to do on his own. He entrusted Joseph with almost everything in his house. And that verse really describes it well. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, all that he had. Some translations say that he left it in Joseph's hand. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now, can we unpack that? Because I think there's something interesting going on in this verse. On the surface, it looks as if Potiphar trusted Joseph so much, he saw in him a character and a kind of, a kind of capacity to be trusted, that he entrusted everything to him. I mean, it seems... On the surface, that's all that verse means, that Joseph did almost everything. He, he oversaw the other servants. He organized the household. He checked the mail. He updated the software when it was time on the computer. He did everything, and, and Potiphar didn't have to do a thing except, as the text says, lunch. 
But most scholars will say that there's more going on in that verse than just lunch. Follow me for just a moment. Because all throughout the Joseph narrative here, we see a play on words. A play on words where we use the word hand. And when you see the word hand, it, 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 it symbolizes power. So in Joseph, hand was given the power to run the house, right? So the hand represents power or authority or, or dominion. And so he gave into Joseph's hand responsibility and power to handle all affairs, except one thing. Now on the surface, it's lunch. But there's more. See, Potiphar gave over every bit of responsibility and power for Joseph to reach out and to hold and to touch and to have control over everything in his house except one thing. There was one thing that was to be left alone. One thing under Potiphar's home that needed to be untouched. And it was more than a turkey sandwich. It was his wife. Many believe that that verse right there is a euphemism, a kind of cipher to describe his intimate relationship with his wife. Now, why would we make that connection? Because if we pay attention and we see that Potiphar has given over control and responsibility of everything in his house except one thing, the one thing in Potiphar's hand that Joseph couldn't touch, there is another story in the same book that sounds similar, isn't it? For you may eat freely of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden except this one. And of that tree you shall not eat, nor shall you reach out and touch and hold in your hand, or you shall surely die. Because as those first humans were being instructed, in order to exist in this garden, you have to know how to live within boundary. And here Joseph is in a new garden. He didn't ask for it, but he, there he is. He's down, 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 and he's being lifted up, given responsibility. You may be responsible to take hold of everything in this house except one thing. And so the Bible, to keep it PG-13 says, except for the lunch that was in his hand. <laughs> but you're picking up what he's putting down, right? The question is, Joseph, this new Adam, how will he respond? So let's find out. The text continues, now Joseph was a handsome and good-looking man. Uh-oh. That's trouble. Now Joseph was handsome and good looking and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, with me here my master has no concern about anything in his house and he has put everything he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself. Because, hello, you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
So in time, Joseph demonstrates himself as trustworthy, as an impressive guy. He's not only capable of leading, he's trustworthy, but clearly the text is telling us he was a stud. He, looked good. he, was, he was handsome, good-looking guy. And so Potiphar's wife, after a while, noticed and began to see him. She came one night and knocked on his door, and unbeknownst to Joseph, he opens the door. Okay, okay. Stop, stop, stop. All right, so just seeing if you're keeping up. All right. That's what you call a callback, right? All right. You got to go back a couple of weeks for that one. So he opens up the door and she makes an advance towards him and tries to seduce him and he rejects her and pushes her away. But what's interesting, even curious to me, is the reason why. I mean, clearly he doesn't want to offend his master because he would violate the trust of his master. But the verse says something that calls our attention deeper. This is what the verse says. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, Joseph recognized that there was more at stake in that moment of decision than just Potiphar and disappointing his master. He recognized that, hey, listen, he might be able to get away with it. I mean, it's possible if they watched their tracks, if they were careful, they could keep a secret. It may be that Potiphar never saw, never knew never learned of the thing that she was proposing. But Joseph also recognized that even if Potiphar did not see, God saw. He was so attentive to an awareness that within his own life, God was intimately aware that he knew instinctively what later you and I would read about in the Gospel of Luke. We would read these words from our own Lord, for nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come into the light. I think it was John Wooden who, who once said these famous words, the true test of a person's character is what they do when no one is watching. I mean, sit with that for just a moment. That's true enough, right? The true character of a person is what they do when no one is watching. But I would even take it a step further because I'm not even sure that's completely true. Because in the faith, we believe that there is never a time when no one is watching because even if all human eyes are directed elsewhere, there is one set of eyes that will never look away. The psalmist puts it this way, that God never, neither slumbers nor sleeps. That God is always attentive to the thing happening in you. And Joseph recognized that I may hide from people, but I cannot hide from God. When I was a youth pastor, I used to talk to students. You know, we used to have a retreat every once in a while. We'd have, um, well, we, we had different themes about each retreat, right? And this one was called the sex retreat. And the theme was to talk about sex. Right, And we did, and we talked about sex, and we talked about choices. We talked about boundaries. And one of the things that Laura and I would try to instill in our students whom we loved and were walking alongside was this. The time to decide about your sexual boundaries 
is not when you're laying on the couch in the dark together. It's not when you're parked somewhere in the car because at that point, mayday, the, it becomes more. Joseph made not only a decision to say no to this advance, he made a decision to say no three or four or five steps before the advance. Did you notice the text? The text says that he neither would lie with her nor be with her. In fact, we're told in the text that they came into an empty room where presumably he thought no one was home because the text says no one was home. So he went there to not be caught with her alone because she had given these signals so he had set up some guardrails around himself so that it would make it easier for him to say no because, you know, he understood the law of diminishing returns. He knew that if he hung out with her a little bit, that would last for a while, but in time, perhaps they needed to go grab coffee together. And then in time, coffee is great, but lunch would be better. And lunch is good, but you really can't talk about much at lunch, so sometimes maybe dinner is a little bit better. And I know another place on the other side of town, and, we, and it would just, it's quiet, and, and you see the law of... Joseph knew that it wasn't enough to simply wait until the moment of decision to keep his integrity. He had to make choices three, four, five steps back in order to be safe. And then it gets real. It gets real because not only does she make an advance, but she doesn't stop. She turns up the heat. She comes in one day and attempts to have um, to invite him into this relationship. Let's keep it PG. And reaches out and grabs him and says, lie with me. And the text says these words. And although she spoke to Joseph day and night, he would not consent to lie with her or beside her or to be with her or to go to Starbucks together alone or have dinner on the other side of town alone. One day, however, she or he went into the house to do his work while no one else was in the house. She caught a hold of his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, you've got to give Joseph props to run outside naked rather than be entrapped and lose his integrity. But I want you to hold on to that image because it's a powerful image because don't forget, this is not the first time someone has stripped him of his robe. His brothers saw who he really was and it wasn't acceptable to them and they stripped that multicolored robe right off attempting to remove his, in, his dignity and remove his integrity and who he really was. And this time, she reaches out and grabs the outer layer and yet can't touch the interior. It's interesting because if hand really does represent power, she, in this story, represents the power of the empire, the Egyptian empire. And she, seeing him as a slave, assumes he belongs to me. I can take what I want because he is property belonging to me, and so I will take what I need. And she reaches out with her hand of power to grasp it, and yet all she can get is the exterior because there's a part of you that not even an empire can reach. 
And, and you and I may not live in an empire the way we, we're talking about empire here, but empires can have different names. Empires can be an overloaded work schedule. An empire can be um, materialism. An empire can be this relentless pursuit of winning and succeeding and achieving. Yeah, and it can strip away everything that we think matters, but there is a place in you that even the empire cannot reach. And she's left standing there with all that she can get. And then the accusations begin, the cover-up. And she accuses him and makes big news. He attempted to rape me. See, I've got the evidence. He left his, his coat. And so Potiphar finds out and throws him into jail. And the text tells us that once again he descends even further down. We didn't think he could go any further than he did. He was already down in Egypt and already down in the house of slavery. And now even further down in prison. But do you know what follows right after telling us that he's been brought down once more? These words. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love because there is no descent too far down to be outside the reach of God's mercy. And do you know what happens? He's down at the very bottom and the jailer, the prison guard, is impressed with him and begins to raise him back up and now he's in charge of the other prisoners and getting responsibility and more power in his hand and are you are you seeing the rhythm the down and the up it's what we've talked about for years now the paschal mystery it is the paradox of the paschal ministry or paschal mystery the paschal mystery is just this in the dying there will be the rising the paschal mystery is that anything that is buried with Christ doesn't stay dead long, but is raised up to new life. There is a paschal mystery in you. And in these seasons when all we can perceive is the down, when we're knocked down and we, we fall down and we fail and life around us crumbles, when we are down in Egypt and down in the house of slavery and down in prison and all we can see is down, there is a power at work within us that is attempting to rise up. I told you before, I, I love the commentary of Dr. James Forbes on the life of Joseph. Joseph, James Forbes points out, has a lot of ups and downs. If you really think about the long arc of his story, there are all kinds of ups and downs with him. In fact, maybe you can help me because you know how to say up and you know how to say down, right? So, so you know that this whole story began last week when he had a dream that his sheaves were standing. Come on, you're going to have to, if you want to go home. His sheaves were standing, but his brothers were lying. Well, the brothers heard about that, and guess what? They were fed, so they beat him. Yeah. They gathered together around lunch, and they came with a plan to throw him into a well. And then they saw the Ishmaelites coming through town, and so they came with a plan to sell him into slavery into Egypt. So when they saw them coming, they had already thrown him a well, so they had to raise him to sell him to... Yeah, that was off a little bit. So they raise him up in order to sell him 
to Egypt. And he gets down to Egypt. And when he's down in Egypt, Potiphar is paying attention. He's impressed with him. His opinion of him goes. And so he lays all of his responsibilities. And then one day, Potiphar's wife notices him. She looks him and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Joseph notices this because he's picking what she's putting. And she finally comes knocking on the door, looking him because she wants to get. All right. Okay. All right. We better stop while we're ahead. But this rhythm goes on and on. Next week, we're going to see how there's still the mystery of the Paschal mystery unfolding in the life of Joseph because it's constantly moving up and down, rising and falling. But here's the beauty, beloved. Here's the beauty. In order to be lifted up, you must come down. You must humble yourself. And sometimes life will do that for you, and sometimes it's a choice we have to make on our own to relinquish. To let life take us all the way down so that the rescue that unfolds is a rescue that is unmistakably from the God who can raise us up. Are you somewhere in your journey where all you see is your downward spiral? Because if you, if you are do not be afraid. Don't rush it. Don't despise it. Do not fear it. Because on your way down, just know this. There is something in God attempting to raise you up. Romans 8 puts it this way. In all things, even in your descent, God works for good. God works for good. For those who love God and who are called according to God's purpose. That's you. Be lifted up, sisters and brothers. Because the God who loves you won't give up until you are raised up. Let's bow together. God, there's so much to consider and so much to to bring before you. We recognize that we are oriented, Lord. We are oriented to live in a life that constantly moves up and achieves and succeeds and wins at all cost. So when something happens that makes us trip and fall flat on our face, we don't know what to do with it. So we just reject it. We despise it. We think that it is the opposite of your love. Will you show us that on the contrary, it is the venue of your love? Raise somebody up this day. In the name of Christ the risen. Amen. Amen.